You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and this is the Martin Erdegaard Appreciation Podcast. Um, I was talking last night on the post-match reaction show about uh, what we were going to do today in terms of our follow-on analysis. As you guys know, who have subscribed to the channel, subscribed to the podcast, we like to react to a game on the day of the game. And then we normally follow it up with a bit of tactical analysis or a bit of analysis around a specific player or specific performer um, or, or around a specific talking point with regards to Arsenal's game. And I was sitting there kind of thinking this morning about what I wanted to do today and what I wanted to do on this show about and, and sort of how I would kind of approach this. What I don't want to do on the tactical analysis or on the deeper analysis pieces is repeat myself every single week, right? So for that reason, I didn't want to talk about the system. I didn't want to talk about the shape. And the first thing that kept coming to my mind was just how bloody good Martin Odegaard was. And I think it's only right that we basically spend the majority of a podcast, followed by some Q&A with you guys, waxing lyrical about Martin Odegaard, his growing influence on this team, why we were right to uh, opt for him over James Madison, despite what people were saying in the summer. I think it's really, really important that we highlight the key points around Martin Odegaard and his strengths and why I believe now, looking back in hindsight, Mikel Arteta was always convinced that he was the guy to take us forward and he was the right guy at the right price. Uh, to help move this Arsenal team on. I mean, the performance was just unbelievable. And, and when I talk about performance, uh, the amazing thing about Martin Odegaard is that he's flawless in so many different areas. Okay, he is incredibly technically gifted. He gets the ball, brings it under control brilliantly. You always trust that he has got the ability to get out of tight situations, that he's got the ability to pick out teammates, that he's got the ability to keep the flow of the tax moving and rolling. You also know that he's going to give you 100% in terms of his work rate, in terms of his effort. And sometimes in the past, you'd have looked at players of Martin Odegaard's profile, the number 10s, if you like, and you'd have said, well, they're luxury players. They're players who bring lots of technical ability, lots of technical security, lots of creativity and ideas that other players are just not capable of coming up with. But they're luxury players in the sense of they won't always work back, they won't lead a press and they won't do the ugly side of the game. But in Martin Odegaard, Mikel Arteta has found somebody that does both. He's found somebody who not only has the technical brilliance to be a real creative force and bring the best out of a number of players around him, but also has the ability to go out there and do the ugly side of the game and do the dogged side of the game and get in people's faces and close people down and really set the tempo and set the pace in that final third, both defensively and offensively. And we talk a lot this season about why Arsenal are a much better defensive outfit. And I highlighted yesterday on the show that a lot of that is to do with 
the fact that we defend so much better from the front. And Martin Odegaard really is a key component in this. We can talk about the brilliant passes, the flicks, the tricks, the skills, um, the dropping of the shoulder, the change of pace. We all know that Martin Odegaard's got that in his locker and we're seeing it more and more frequently. I guess for me, when I think back to when he first joined the club on loan, I look at it now and, and I remember at the time, as I said on the show yesterday, I remember saying that for me, we, um, you know, we were we were set on him. He was the guy that Mikel Arteta had identified as the one he wanted. And I kept saying it throughout the summer that if the opportunity comes along, if the opportunity presents itself, if Real Madrid show any signs of being open and willing to move in Martin Odegaard on, Arsenal would be there waiting and would be there waiting to pounce. And then... The, the James Madison rumours came out. And when the James Madison rumours came out, a lot of people's views shifted, partly because nobody thought that James Madison was even an option. And look, I still don't know how close, if close at all, Arsenal got to landing the Leicester man. But we did get a quoted asking price. We kind of knew that if that asking price was met, um, we'd stand a chance of getting in. We knew that there was some interest from Madison's camp based on what we were being told and what we were reading. And so it didn't feel like an impossible transfer. It felt like one that if Arsenal were were all in on and dead set on, we could probably get over the line. And Arsenal decided not to do that. And I remember at the start of the season, there were even dissenting voices at that point. Arsenal fans saying we should have got Madison. Look at Madison's goal return. Look at his assists numbers. Look at all of that stuff. But football is so much more than just statistics. And I think there was a really good quote from Bernardo Silva just the other day, where he talked about the fact that we become bogged down by that and we become obsessed by that. And I know I've mentioned this quote before, but we really, really are, um, you know, seeing that uh, sort of, you know, seeing what Bernardo Silva's point was in Martin Odegaard. Because are his goals and assist numbers great? Well, no, not really. He's got five goals this season and four assists. James Madison's got 12 goals and seven assists. Now, of course, Madison has played in Europe as well, and therefore he's played more games, and therefore it's easier to boost those numbers up. But the point with Martin Odegaard is that it's not just about outputs in terms of numbers. And we've got to stop being obsessed by this. You've got to look at the way he links play. You've got to look at the way he sets and dictates the tempo. You've got to look at the way he sets the standard in terms of how we press, in terms of our aggression, and how well he leads that second line of the press. Now, I keep talking about Arsenal being so much better at defending from the front than they have been in years gone by. And that is because the press now is coordinated. It's in sync. And all of those things are what contributes to a really effective press. There's no point in your front man, i.e. Alexander Lacazette, pressing the two centre-halves if it's not going to be followed on in the wide areas by Martinelli and Saka. And then there's no point in the three of them pressing if it's not going to be followed on by the second line, which is the Odegaard-Xhaka line. And then Partey is the next line. And, and for me... That's been one of the big problems with Arsenal. When we tried to press at times under Unai Emery, it wasn't coordinated. It wasn't in sync. It wasn't in tandem. It was a bit patchy and bitty. A bit like Martin Odegaard's loan spell. A bit patchy. Looked good at times, but didn't look good 
um, at others. And, and naturally, there was an apprehension about the idea of placing a creative kind of responsibility on Martin Odegaard off the back of that. But we've all been proved wrong. Because as I say, not only does he bring that creativity, not only does he string our play together, not only does he drop into really dangerous pockets of space, not only does he pull out right, pull out left, get involved with others, he also gives us so much in terms of work rate and defensive contribution. The press is now, you know, trusted. It's something that we look at and we go, yeah, you know, this can work. We can move forward with this. And that is because once that first line of press goes, Martin Odegaard is the guy who launches that second line of the press. And I've seen him time and time again. And, and I know that I'm fortunate to be at a lot of the games. And when you're at the game, sometimes you get a little bit more of a an insight as to what's going on on the pitch because you're not restricted to just looking at what's in the, within the screen, within the shot. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen Martin Odegaard sort of on his toes waiting for that kind of trigger point from which he then launches that second line of press. And the way he urges his teammates around him to get up alongside him and contribute to that is a, a real leader. And that's why people are talking about Martin Odegaard in the captaincy conversation. That's why people are talking about Martin Odegaard as somebody who could potentially take that role on moving into next season. So I say that we were vindicated in the decision not to sign James Madison and in the decision to opt for Martin Odegaard instead. Now, you might be thinking why. Well, there are a number of reasons. First of all, we paid probably less than half of the money we would have had to pay to get James Madison out of Leicester. I've already told you that James Madison contributes more goals and more assists, but I've also told you where I believe that Martin Odegaard contributes in other areas that James Madison doesn't. I mean, you look at the game yesterday, and as I said on the post-match reaction show, you don't want to make conclusions or, or make assumptions or make rash decisions based on one game, based on what you've seen in one game. But you can see that one has a much wider and deeper influence on the rest of his team than the other does. Leicester have to play well for James Madison to flourish. Leicester have to have a certain amount of control in a game for James Madison to do what he does best. Martin Odegaard contributes to Arsenal getting that control, contributes to Arsenal creating that platform from which he can then go on and start to dictate things. Albeit tempo, patterns of play, he, he's he's honestly superb. And again, we'll make that Mesut Ozil comparison. He's everything that Mikel Arteta so desperately wanted Mesut Ozil to be but he just wasn't willing to be it. You know, he, he didn't have that, that kind of workman-like mentality that Martin Odegaard has. But if you combine that workman-like mentality with the technical ability and brilliance of Martin Odegaard, you have got yourself one hell of a player. And he has been instrumental in Arsenal's good form this season. He's been at the forefront of everything. He's honestly... He's been a fantastic signing. And for me, I take a lot of pride in saying that because, and it's not, you know, I'm not sitting here going, I want to be the guy that I said, I told you so. But I remember when people were telling me that I was an idiot. If I tell you how many stupid DMs I got from people telling me that I was an idiot, that we should have got Buendia to play in that position or we should have got Madison to play in that position. It, it, it almost, I look back on it and go, well, now I'm glad that he's doing. I'm even more happy 
to see him performing at the highest level because that decision has been vindicated. And one thing we need to stop doing as fans, listen, we're all allowed to have opinions. I have opinions on players. Moss will tell you about my opinions on Jonathan David, uh, for example. But, um, you know, you, you look at players and you form an opinion. But you have to recognise and understand that as a fan, as an onlooker, as somebody who isn't privy to what is going on behind the scenes, you don't always have the full picture. Therefore, you have to be willing or at least open to adapting and changing that opinion on that basis. I didn't know in the summer that Mikel Arteta was going to um, was going to abandon the double midfield pivot of Xhaka and Partey in the deeper positions to move to something more like what we've got now. I suspected it because we all knew that 4-3-3 or something more in that mould was um, was what he was after and was what his end goal was going to be. But we didn't see it. You know, we, we, we didn't know for sure. We were guessing, we were speculating. Mikel Arteta knew exactly what his vision was. Mikel Arteta knew exactly why Martin Odegaard was the right fit. And so far, for the most part, and there have been a couple of mistakes along the way, as, as you tend to get in football. But when you look at the way that Edu and Arteta have almost pre-assessed players prior to making their moves for them, they've been pretty accurate in terms of what they thought the player would bring, the level they thought the player could reach, and then now what we're seeing on the pitch. And at the forefront of their thinking was, in a lot of instances, what can this player become? What does he have the potential to be as opposed to what is he today? And we've taken some calculated risks on that basis and many of them are paying off. And it's why we now have the core of a side, the spine of a side that really excites us, that has us feeling great, that has us going to the Emirates, you know, absolutely buzzing to watch our team play. And that's something that we lost in recent seasons. But somebody like Martin Odegaard, he... He's an example of all the things that Mikel Arteta looks for in a player, in an individual player, but also wants to get across in terms of his team, in terms of the attitude. We're hardworking. We're humble. We're talented. We're um, willing to fight until the last minute all the time. These are things that were missing from this Arsenal side for many, many years. And Martin Odegaard embodies all of that. And he has been, you know, somebody that people have been unsure about in the past. And I get that. Listen, when I'm when I'm saying that, you know, people were kind of coming at me and telling me, you know, what, what what's wrong with you? You're an idiot. Don't um, don't look at this player. Don't look at that player. We don't want that player. We don't want this player. He's not good enough. He's not good enough. Um you know, and, and we were having all these debates, and I was saying, I like this player, and people say, No, I want this one. All of that, right, it's, um, you know, it's valid because we're fans and, of course, we're allowed to have an opinion. But at the same time, as I say, we don't know the full picture and sometimes we just have to back the hell off. Sometimes we just have to back off and trust that the people whose job it is day in, day out to assess, to scout, to um, profile what it is they're looking for, what it is they need, they have a level of insight that me or you will never have. 
And I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion. I, I circle back to that point. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you can't have a view. But it always has to be a view that you're willing and open to changing based on the evidence that you see in front of you. It's not flip-flopping. It's, it's, it's not that at all. It's making your judgments on the basis of what you see in front of you and the evidence that you have at hand. How do you ever develop? How do you ever learn? How do you ever get better if you just stick to an opinion and are never willing to budge on it, never willing to learn, be proved wrong? You, you never develop. You, your knowledge of football would never improve if you still had the views that you had 10 years ago. It should always be developing. It should always be changing. It should always be refreshing. And that's what I've learned in the last kind of year under Mikel Arteta is that, yeah, we've had ups and downs. We've had wobbles. We've had moments that where we thought that he wasn't the right man. And we've looked at some of the signings and gone, well, that's a bit underwhelming. Aaron Ramsdale was a prime example of that. And those players have come in and been hits and have been real success stories. And sometimes that, well, it should, it certainly has, to me, has humbled me in the sense of, I will now think about it a little bit more before I go off the rails and say that somebody's definitely not the right man for us. And I'm also willing to eat humble pie. And you've got to be able to do that. And Martin Odegaard, week in, week out, is making people eat humble bloody pie. Because with each passing week, his, his performances are getting better and better and better. As I say, he's got a much greater influence over this Arsenal side than James Madison has over that Leicester side. Perhaps some people will say, well, maybe if Madison was in this team, he'd be a lot better. He'd be a lot stronger. He'd be at a much higher level. And I don't even disagree with that. But you can see what Mikel Arteta saw. And the fact that Mikel Arteta saw that, you know, a year ago when we had the guy on loan, when a lot of us were sitting there going, nah, I'm not too sure about this. That is a telltale sign that, you know, we should back off a little bit sometimes and give the manager and the club the opportunities to do what they think is right. Because sometimes they will get it right. And sometimes as fans and, and commentators and journalists, we will get it wrong. And, and as I keep saying, if you're not willing to, to change that view, that mindset, then, you know, you, you might as well not bother. I love being proved wrong. When I have something negative to say about Arsenal, and I, look, I wasn't negative about Martin Odegaard. I was a little bit um, apprehensive of of, you know, with regards to some elements of his game. Like, I, I didn't think he contributed enough goals during that loan spell. I didn't think he contributed enough direct assists. And while I have just been kind of ranting and, and rambling on about how that shouldn't be the be-all and end-all and it isn't the only indicator, I think that it was something that worried me. It was something that I looked at and thought, well, this is the area in which you need to improve. Look, he has improved in that department this season, but it's still not where it could be. The ceiling is still up here for, for Martin Odegaard. It's much higher ceiling, in my opinion, than James Madison's ceiling. He's two years his junior. We got him for less than half the price that Leicester were reportedly asking for for James Madison. And Arsenal were vindicated, have been vindicated, in their decision to opt for Martin Odegaard over James Madison. And, you know, when you see a player of Odegaard's talent. And I, and I don't know about you guys, but look, there there are some fans out there who look at a centre-back, a, a dominating centre-back who gets stuck in and who is, um, 
you know, really hardworking, really passionate. And that's the type of player they love, that they gravitate towards. I gravitate towards players who are silky, players who make the game look beautiful, players who paint pictures with the ball at their feet. That's what attracts me to footballers. That's what makes me want to see a footballer succeed and flourish. It's why probably in the last, you know, or, or since, you know, moving to the Emirates, even before that, Cesc Fabregas is one of my favourite Arsenal players. And I know he left and I know all of that wasn't ideal and I know he went to Chelsea and all of that jazz. But in terms of stylistically, that's why I loved Cesc Fabregas, because he had the skill, the vision, the technique. That is natural ability. The hard work, you know, there are players that are very limited in their ability, but put work in and make careers out of that. And, and good luck to them. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not criticising those players. They they are what they are. And they have made up for maybe limitations in one element of their game by making sure they do their absolute maximum in others. And that's brilliant. But the, the, the natural ability bit is, is, for me, what hooks me on a player. And Martin Odegaard hooked me quite early on because I think it was clear to see that he had that natural ability. But my reservations were over, could he adapt to the Premier League? Could he deal with the physicality and the demands of the Premier League? Could he stamp his authority on a very competitive competition? And he is doing exactly that. He's got the natural ability. He's got the quality with the ball at his feet, but he's also got that work rate. And, and to have both to such a high level and high standard is, is honestly very, very rare and something that we love to see. It's brilliant. And that performance yesterday against Leicester City, or on, on Sunday against Leicester City, feels to me like a bit of a turning of the tide in terms of Martin Odegaard and the way people outside of the Arsenal world perceive him and look at him. I feel like, and I, and I did hear this point, raised um on a on a podcast but it does really resonate with me and so I'm going to say it I think that was the point yesterday where the rest of the Premier League stood up and went tell you what Martin that Martin Odegaard is a bit of a player isn't he I I honestly feel that I, I think that yesterday was one of those moments where it was the only game it was Sunday 4 30 p.m everybody's chilling out on their sofa sitting back relaxing unwinding watching the game unfold in front of their eyes and people who perhaps had only seen highlights or had only kind of been or had only seen Arsenal on limited number of occasions this season would have sat up yesterday and gone, yeah, he's an absolute baller. And and he deserves that, you know, he deserves that level of respect because he has throughout the season, in my opinion, barring a couple of odd games where, you know, he wasn't quite at his brilliant best. He's been so consistent He's been so effective and and he, as I keep saying, embodies and encapsulates everything that Mikel Arteta wants. Technical brilliance, zip, tempo, high octane passing and pressing, strong movement both on and off the ball. But also an attitude that, you know, is is up there among the very best. You know, he's, he's humble. He's hungry. And, and you've got to remember, this is a lad who left his club, went to Real Madrid at 16 years of age. The expectation around him was huge. And we all know what happened at Real Madrid. He was deemed not quite ready. Um, 
to play at Real Madrid. And you can understand that they're a fantastic team with fantastic players, even more so in years gone by. Modric and Kroos midfield. I mean, who's going to get a look in in that? Um, but he, you know, and he went out on a series of loan spells. And, and from what I've read and understand, he did quite well at Heerenveen. I think he went to Vitesse as well in the Netherlands for a bit. Uh, spent some time with Real Sociedad where he looked quite good um, and kind of started to get people's attention. But he's never had a home in which to lay down roots. He's never known where he's going to be playing football up until now, beyond the next six months. And on that basis, how are you supposed to, as I say, put down those roots, make sure that your home life is good, stable, because that that is a, a contributing factor as well to you succeeding. How was he supposed to feel invested in any one project when he never knew if he was going to get the chance to see it out because of the short-term uh, nature of a lot of the deals that he did? How was he ever supposed to build a connection or a bond with a group of supporters? But he's managed to do that at Arsenal now, and it's getting better and better. And you can tell that Martin Odegaard is thriving thriving because he is in a position where he has all of those things. He's been on the other side of this spectrum. He's been the guy that bounces from club to club. He's been the guy who not everybody trusted and therefore was sent from club to club. He's been the guy knocking on the door at Real Madrid to no answer. And now he's at Arsenal and he is a central part a key part of what Mikel Arteta is building here. He feels that investment. He feels that buy-in. He's got the faith of the coach. He's got the faith of his teammates. And now he's got the faith of the fans as well. And all of those things make this the right environment for Martin Odegaard. And you give, you put somebody in the right environment. If their head's right, if the talent's there, they will thrive. And Mikel Arteta, you can talk about so many different elements of his managing style of his coaching style you can talk about him even if you want to being at times a little bit tactically naive but in terms of creating that unity in terms of creating that culture and in terms of creating that environment in which you know th these players can then succeed he's done a wonderful job of doing that and along the way there have been some difficult calls he's had to move on players that we never thought we could get on without he had to move on Mesut Ozil, who signed a new contract not that long ago, and we were all jumping up and down um, with joy. He had to move on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, again, when he signed his new contract, or his latest contract, we were all jumping for joy. He had to move those guys on because he felt that they had a negative impact and a negative um, effect on that environment that he was trying to create. And now you're seeing the benefits of it. I just want to quickly talk about that Aubameyang thing before. We're going to take some of your questions. So get involved in the chat, get your questions in, and I'll come and pick up some of those uh, for the last sort of uh, 15 minutes of the show. But there was a tweet, wasn't there, from Piers Morgan, where he's basically winding up the whole Arsenal fans and Aubameyang situation, wasn't he? Where he was like, oh, you know, while Arsenal fans were saying that we're better off without Aubameyang, he's scored six goals in nine games, blah, 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 blah. Not a single Arsenal fan has ever sat here and said that Aubameyang isn't a good striker. He just didn't fit in with what we were doing. And it's no coincidence that without him, our 
chance creation, the goals that we're scoring, all of those things have increased dramatically. It's not because he's a bad striker. It's because he wasn't the right fit for what we were doing. And it was abundantly clear way before he fell out with Mikel Arteta, way before these disciplinary issues even surfaced, that we were tactically, and I said it to you guys many times, moving away from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang naturally. It doesn't always have to be black and white. Mikel Arteta took a decision because he felt that, that Aubameyang was, was jeopardising what he was trying to build. And it was a tough decision. It was a decision that a lot of people disagreed with. And it's a decision that if we go on and fail to qualify for the Champions League, people will definitely point to, even though that wouldn't be the reason. It's just, honestly, it's... um. You're, you're starting to see now what it is that we're trying to build, what it is that we're trying to create. And you have to say it is impressive. And Martin Odegaard is right at the forefront of it, right in the centre of it, and um, and has proved so, so many people wrong, which is why I am loving dedicating a podcast to Martin Odegaard. The Martin Odegaard Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> I'm going to take some of your comments in just a second. Keep them coming in. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. Let's try and get to 150 likes. That would be great. Uh, also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. We're on our way towards 20,000 subscribers. We want to get there by the end of the season. Um, I'm going to give away another Arsenal shirt at the end of the season. But if we can get to that 20K mark here on YouTube before the end of the season, I'll give away two, which is an incentive for you guys as well. Um, and anybody will be able to enter that. So get involved. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, just quickly remind you guys as well of our brilliant partnership with the guys over at Football Prizes. Now, you'd have seen so far, there have been a number of fantastic Arsenal-related prizes up for grabs. We had the signed and framed Thierry Henry shirt. We had the signed and framed uh, Ben White boot. And now, well, we've got a prize with relation to the legend of all legends. I talk about players with natural ability. I talk about players with a silky style. There are very few better than this man. Dennis Spurkamp, for your opportunity to enter this competition and win a signed and framed Dennis Burkamp Arsenal shirt, all you need to do is click on the link in the description, visit Football Prizes and buy yourself a ticket. Tickets are £3.95. There are 99 tickets in the draw, and this competition ends on Thursday at 7.30pm. So you've got uh, until Thursday to get involved in this. Hurry up because the tickets will sell fast. I can guarantee you this is a prize that you don't want to miss. Dennis Burkamp, a signed shirt from the Iceman himself. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm going to be entering this one as well. Although I don't know if they'll let me win. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> uh, right, let's uh, let's go over to the comments then and, and see what you guys uh, are saying. Casper um, says, um, have you seen the Norwegian Odegaard documentary with subs worth a watch? I haven't. Um, I've got to be honest, I will. I will check that out. Uh, Jason says, do you think that Arsenal are not only looking at talent, but also work ethic as part of a player's portfolio before bidding on them. Yeah, I think I've said it before on the show. I think that when you think about the the checklist that Mikel Arteta probably has when he's profiling a player, I think character 
is definitely up there. And character has a, a, a direct, um, I think, uh, link to work rate. Because if you're a character who thinks he's too big for his own boots and, you know, then naturally your work rate could be a little bit less. You think you can get by by doing less. Whereas there are some characters who are so humble, are so determined, are so hungry that that has a positive effect on their work rate. I, I don't know if it's about, you know, if it's as specific as like distance is covered and things like that, how many sprints per game, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that character is is really up there. And I think that a lot of the time Mikel Arteta will try and gauge that from conversations he has with that player in the lead up to them potentially signing. And I do think that that's a valid point. Yeah, I think he does place a lot of value on that particular aspect of a player. And, and we're seeing that it's contributing to this positive culture that we keep talking about. Um, Cy Walder says, are you beginning to wonder if we're going to get the same Tommy back from injury? I am worried about Tommy Asu's injury. I, I, I think I mentioned it um, on uh, on the show I did with Tom Canton on the Guna Talk just a few days ago. We talked about the fact that, in my opinion, like it is worrying that you know, this this injury thing is it's not going away. You know, it's there. Um, we keep hearing that he's nearly back and then, you know, that he's in contention for the next fixture and then he's not. And then you're sitting there going, well, what does that mean? How long is this going to rumble on for? Is there something that they're not telling us? There is a concern for me. I, look, I think he's been unfortunate as well because, you know, it's, it's quite, from what I'm told, it's quite common to injure one calf and then injure the other whilst trying to recover from the first one because of the additional strain that you put on that particular muscle. But look, we, we can only hope. I guess the big thing is that with Cedric playing to a pretty decent standard at the moment, although I'm I'm not looking forward to seeing him up against Liverpool's attack, but having said that, Tommy wasn't great, was he, in the, um, in the second leg of our Carabao Cup tie? We don't really have a, a desperation right now to rush Tommy Asu back. And so we probably do need to be a little bit overcautious in ensuring that he, he gets back when he's actually ready to be back. Um, but yeah, it's, it is it is a concern for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm it's a situation I'm keeping a really uh, close uh, eye on from week to week. Clo Why did I say close like that? I don't know. Uh, Ekene says, if you think Harry's hair is slick like Odegaard's touches and passes, hit the like button. Absolutely love that. Please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. As I say, it really, really does help. I know it's annoying um, me asking you, but I wouldn't ask if it wasn't really, really important. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat box. Do -do 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 -do. Um, Matt G says, um, I'm changing my mindset around potential summer signings. Rather than thinking, who can we convince to come to us? Now I think there would be a lot of players who want to join this team. Look, I've I've been really kind of vocal about the fact that for me at the start of the season, Champions League qualification wasn't the goal. It wasn't the objective. And that if we made it, if we got there, it would be a bonus, but a very welcome bonus. And I still feel that way. But that Champions League appeal is huge. But it's not just about that one season, right? You're not just trying to convince a player that you're the right club for the next 12 months because players rarely sign on 12-month contracts. What you're seeking to do when you enter the transfer market is show these players that, yes, we're in the Champions League if we make it, 
but that we are in a position to repeatedly be in the Champions League and to repeatedly be competitive in Europe's Premier competition and at the top end of the Premier League. And the fact that we're doing things, in my view, the right way by bringing in young players, hungry players, by creating a culture, by creating a system, a style of play, uh, focusing a lot on identity, that is something that is sustainable, right? As opposed to something that is short term, but has the capacity or potential to just blow up at any in your face at any point. What Liverpool have done is exactly that. Right culture, right mentality, good coach, good recruitment. And it's been sustainable now for, what, four or five years. They've been at the highest level. So you've got to show to people that it's sustainable. You've got to show to people that even if we do get in the Champions League, it wasn't just the fluke. It wasn't just Arsenal uh, being slightly better than under par uh, performances from Manchester United and Tottenham throughout the course of the season. It's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be sold on the basis of the project and where we're going. And and that makes me quite confident that if we do get in the Champions League, it opens the door to a whole load of higher level players because we'd have achieved it and we'd have achieved it going the right way. And people will be looking at us thinking, Arsenal are pretty good at the moment, but there is so much more potential to come from this team. And that can help for sure in um, in attracting people. Uh, let's see um, what else uh, we've got. Um, Marshall is a Liverpool fan. Uh, big up, Harry. See you on Wednesday. Arteta's getting baptised by our German priest. Love the content they make. Keep it up. Uh, thank you so much, mate. Thank you for being with us. But I'll tell you what, I, Kevin Keegan style, I would love it. I would love it if we derail your title challenge at Emirates Stadium on um, Wednesday night. Uh, a bit off topic, but I'll quickly address this because uh, Hardik says, is five? Is there going to be five substitutions from next season in the Premier League? I don't know for sure at this moment in time, but I wouldn't be surprised. that There's so much noise being made about it. Listen, I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of five subs, um, uh, of five subs being introduced because I think what that does is it widens the gap between those sides who are richer, wealthier, have deeper pockets and deeper squads and, and those who don't. Because what it does is it gives you more opportunities to change the game from the bench. You can throw on, in Chelsea or Man City's case, five world-class players to replace five players that are maybe having a bit of an off day, which is ultimately what's giving the underdog a bit of an opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not for it at all. I don't really want to see it. Uh, well then, I just saw uh, a couple of bits I need to uh, I need to call out. We've got a new member. Peeny Ween is a Chronicles of Aguna member. Welcome, mate, to the Chronicles of Aguna family. Thank you for signing up, mate. I I saw your message about the flat cap about how you'd join up if I got the flat cap on. I did grab it. It was to the left of me, but I didn't want to mess up my hair because uh, I've got some other work to do a little bit later. So I do apologise. But thank you for signing up anyway. Welcome. Make sure you go over to the community tab and make sure uh, you join the Discord server as well. Um, be good to see you in there. Uh, okay, let's continue working our way uh, through the chat box. Uh, Said Abdullah says, why is everybody talking about Ben White? I haven't seen anyone talking about Kieran Tini's clearance. It was a very crucial moment in the game. That was a brilliant clearance, by the way, in the second half. I agree with you. It was it was really good. 
really key, uh, really important as well um in terms of um in terms of us uh, making sure that we saw the game out yesterday uh, 100% um but thank you side for your kind donation as well mate really really appreciate it and thank you for highlighting uh, for those that maybe forgot that Kieran Tierney played a really massive part uh, as well. He was better yesterday, by the way. I made an episode maybe a week ago now. I think it was after the Watford game where I talked a little bit about why he's not been bad, but slightly underwhelming just based on the, the high levels and high standards that we know he's capable of. Um, but he, he certainly looked back to his best, I thought, against Leicester at the weekend. Um, Bro Pro 98 says, do you worry about the Chelsea takeover bid? Yeah, this thing is 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 so fluid at the moment. Like, I don't really know what to say about it. Look, I, I shared my views um when it all first came to light that Chelsea had been sanctioned, that I think that they were it was right that they were sanctioned, and it was right that Roman Abramovich had essentially had his legs cut off, not physically, not like metaphorically speaking because of his involvement in in what's going on. All right, you know, he's not the one driving tanks into Ukraine. I'm not saying that, but he's obviously got links. He's also, he's obviously a supporter or has been and has ties to a regime that is obviously crossing the line at the moment. The takeover stuff is a little bit unclear to me. We keep reading about and hearing about different suitors for the club. With each passing day, I don't really, I don't have my ear close enough to the ground when it comes to Chelsea to know what is accurate and what is not. But there is talk about uh, a Saudi uh, consortium, just like the one at Newcastle, uh, potentially taking over. And this is my issue, right? I listen. I I am very much a believer, and I said this on ninety min the other day. I'm very much a believer that as far as possible, we need to keep politics and football separate but it's not always possible the geopolitical landscape today means that that's not always possible and there is some crossover but you know there was so much hoo-ha about the saudis taking over newcastle it even got to the point where those looking to purchase the club had to take it to court and had to do everything within their power to try and force the deal to go through they eventually got their way. They got it over the line. The deal happened. The deal took place. You've let them in. So now you've basically shown or given the impression that you will let others with similar uh, questionable characteristics, shall we say, into the game. You've done it once. You, you've basically shown people that the door is open. Okay. And now you're you're going to get backlash, but that backlash is. Look, let me. I'm trying to kind of process this in my mind as I'm saying it, which is why it's not coming out very clearly. Let me rephrase this. Okay, so you let the Saudi consortium in at Newcastle United, and I, it's not Newcastle's fault. Okay, it's not the fans' fault. You've let those guys in. All the while, there's been people moaning, complaining. And, and outraged by that decision to allow them, given other issues off the pitch, nothing to do with football, um, that there's been an outcry as to why that was allowed to happen. Now, if you don't let Saudis come in at Chelsea, which is what's being reported today, 
then you're a hypocrite because you let one group come in, but you're not going to let another. So you're being hypocritical there. But equally, you're being hypocritical if you have just sanctioned an owner for having a link to a regime that is committing an atrocity or breaking human rights um, laws. But then you're allowing another one that you know probably down the line you're going to have the same issue with. It's just all a mess. The, the whole football world needs a reset. And I don't really know what the solution is because we're now in a position where football has so much money involved that not your everyday person can afford to buy a football club. And so the pool of people that could potentially take over one of these, uh, you know, big clubs is getting smaller and smaller by the day. But, you know, it's, I just think that the Premier League, by allowing certain owners into the game for all the wealth that it brings, are setting themselves up for situations not exactly the same as Roman Abramovich's down the line, but situations whereby at some point they're going to come under pressure to take action because of their previous um, or you know views or, or, or previous things that they've done. But as is pointed out by Yo-Yo, the Saudi Arabian government and the British government have a good relationship, a relationship that benefits both. It's mutually beneficial. And so that's probably why um, they are more willing to make allowances on that side than they are now on the Russian side. I don't know. But anyway, it's um, I'm not worried about the takeover of Chelsea because the worst possible case is that they stay where they are, right? They're not going to get a better owner than Roman Abramovich, not in terms of him as a character, but in terms of the way he financed the club and ensured the football was at the forefront of everything they did. So, yeah, um, not massively worried about it. It is what it is. It's out of my control. I'm trying not to stress and worry about things that really aren't um, out of our control, you know. Okay, uh, let's take uh, one or two more of your questions. Uh, Trev, how you doing, mate? He says, uh, can I have that Venga photo, please? Mate, this is it's not real. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I tried to make it look like I had pictures on the wall. In fact, this was a background I created for the show like a good year ago. Um, haven't used it for ages, but I was looking through the virtual backgrounds today and I found it, so I just popped it on there. Um, but no, it's not going anywhere because it's not real, but it's not going anywhere anyway. Uh, let's see, uh, what else, uh, we've got in the chat. We'll take, um, just, uh, one more before we sign off. Uh, Mazzolo Radu says, what formation should we adopt against Liverpool? Love that. Should we start with five at the back or should we go toe to toe with them as we did against C? For me, we've got our identity now. We know what it is that we're good at. We know what it is, um, that we're capable of. I, I say stay the way we've been. The only slight tweak I would make is the tweak that I think, Arsenal made in the second half yesterday, which was to get Granite Xhaka um, to just drop off slightly uh, and play closer to Thomas Partey because of the quality of the opponent. I, I want to see him play that role. Um, I know some people say the further he is away from our goal, the less he can harm us. But there were just a couple of moments yesterday, I felt, that he went forward maybe on a counter-attack to help out maybe to to try and take defenders away or to try and press. And when he got bypassed, we looked a little bit vulnerable in that midfield area, depending on where Thomas Partey was positioned. And against Liverpool, you can't allow them to spin and have that type of space and to run and isolate your back four. So I think I would 
The only tweak I would make is that Granite Xhaka would be slightly deeper for me so that we'd have more like a double midfield defensive pivot than the one with the two either side of him. That's the only thing I would do. But we'll speak about it in detail on the preview show, which we're going to do tomorrow. Um, so we'll get that out tomorrow and we'll, we'll have a good look at the game and we'll um, you know, think about how we can best tackle Jurgen Klopp's side, who are undoubtedly going to bring a really uh, strong challenge to us come Wednesday night. Okay, going to leave it there. Let's quickly check on where we are in terms of the likes. We're 20 away for 150. Let's get that extra 20 on the board by the time the outro plays. Don't forget to check out Football Prizes. A Dennis Burkamp signed and frame shirt available now. What more do you want? Check it out. Get involved. The link is in the description below. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe. And we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.